and also. All right, guys. Uh, as Pastor Stephen said, it's good to be back at Divine and in your all's new space. It's it's awesome. I like your space. Um, we are grateful for your all's uh, support and just feel incredibly connected to the vine in our ministry overseas and we're just thankful for the partnership um thankful for the opportunity to speak again um and preach from the word here i'll be reading from first timothy uh 4 6 through 16 but just as a backdrop paul wrote this letter uh to timothy who was in ephesus um last summer we actually had a conference in turkey and got to visit ephesus and so it was pretty cool Um, It's a port town that um, is kind of a trade route, and so it was very strategic as Paul's kind of first area to do mission work. Um, We got to see the market space, and uh, likely he maybe did some tent making there. Um, It was a melting pot of Greek, Roman, and Jewish culture. There's a a cool little uh, ruin there. Um, It's called, I think, Library of Celsus, and there's a... um, Jewish menorah carved in the steps there, so you can kind of see that all three cultures were represented there. But you'll see, um, you guys are going through Acts right now. Um, Acts chapter 19, Paul and some others start to ruffle some feathers, and so you'll go through that later, I'm sure, with Pastor Stephen. So. Um, but let's, let's read through um, the verses here. Um, in my uh, version here of the ESV, uh, it's saying there's a heading that says, A Good Servant of Christ Jesus. So it says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gifts you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in these things, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, when we returned back from being overseas in the Middle East, um, within the first week, we, were, we heard some sad news uh, from Laura's home fellowship. A great woman of the faith had passed away of a sudden heart attack. Um, she had suffered for years with Alzheimer's disease. Um, she was the wife of uh, my father-in-law's close friend and mentor in the church. And the pastor there spoke um, some, he pulled some from this passage, um, speaking about kind words about her character, um, her heart for missions, and uh, just her being a good servant. And I thought to myself as he was preaching, could I say the same thing about myself? Um, At the end of my life, would others describe myself in such a way as a good servant of Jesus Christ? Um, Also, in preparation for this sermon, I was listening to other sermons on the same passage, and a lot of them were targeted at young pastors, uh, given that um, 
Timothy was a, a young pastor in, in Ephesus. But again, the title says a good servant. Many of you may not remember my first sermon at the Vine, but it was years ago. And uh, one of the take home points was that we're all ministers uh, who labor and suffer for the gospel. So I think in the same way, this passage um, is for believers and us as, as ministers of the gospel. Um, so let me read through uh, verse six again. We'll go verse by verse and we'll kind of try to um, expound on these verses. So Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Interesting enough, though, uh, the word brothers in Greek is adelphos. It translates as um, brothers, but it includes sisters. I think similarly in Spanish, hermanos, if you're speaking to a group of young people, it means both um, you know, young, young boys and, and, and women as well. And it's similar in, in Arabic, actually. The word in Arabic is ikhwan. So if you had, you know, two brothers and two sisters, you would use that, use that word for both brothers and sisters. So um, also being a doctor, as, as uh, Stephen mentioned, we're, Laura and I are both family medicine doctors. I can't help but read this passage as a bit of a, a prescription. Paul literally says, if you do these things, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, my ears kind of perked up. Um, I think it's safe to say that we all want to be good servants of, of Jesus. Um, he also emphasizes being trained in the words of the faith and good doctrine. I think you all are blessed here to get that uh, week in and week out. You're being taught sound doctrine. It's preached, it's modeled, it's followed. Um, and so I think that's, that's an amazing um, thing that you guys are doing as the body of Christ here at the Vine. Um, there's a heading at the beginning of my study Bible here about this passage, and it's it actually for these particular verses. Um, it, the heading is, "What is Paul asking Timothy?" Or no, sorry, um, uh, sorry, I messed up there. That's not uh, the. My question here is, "What is Paul asking Timothy to put before the believers?" Um, so he's specifically referring back to verses one through five. Um, I won't I'll have you guys kind of maybe I would encourage you to read back through one through five. But it, one through five is speaking about false doctrine. Um, specifically, there's doctrine about avoiding marriage and avoiding certain foods, um, which may or may not be bad advice. I mean, I, I would say avoid Brussels sprouts. I think that's good <laughs> advice. Um, but, you know, Paul is, you know, he's saying that these people are saying to avoid these things in order to be saved. I think avoiding Brussels sprouts to be saved is a bit, a bit going too far. So, um, so I think it's similar to what... Uh, you know, Pastor Stephen had been mentioning in Acts chapter 15, there was a lot of false doctrine being preached about circumcision of the Gentiles, that being necessary for salvation. Um, so another question I pose is, how do we combat false doctrine? Well, I think it's answered in this verse. Paul says um, that it's okay to bring these uh, things to light. It's okay to point out these things before brothers and sisters in Christ. But he also says, be trained in words of the faith and of good doctrine. As you guys, as we read through the next several verses and the rest of the passage, one thing I would ask you guys to kind of look at are the imperative verbs, their command form verbs that you see. Paul is saying, do these things. And again, he's saying, do these things and you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So he said, be trained in good words of the faith and of good doctrine. Um, as an aside, we 
were visiting family in Kansas City, and one of the things we went to go see is the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Sounds exhilarating, right? It just sounds as fun as it, 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 it sounds, I guess. But uh, uh, anyhow, there's a station there that you can uh, spot counterfeit money. The first one I thought was hilarious because it's Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. And his nose is huge and it looks completely ridiculous. So it's obviously counterfeit. Um, it re- reminded me of the movie Tangled when Flynn Rider is, is you know, getting, he's like, I just can't get my nose right on the, <laughs> on the wanted poster. But um, yeah, the others are a little bit more difficult to spot. And maybe some of you guys have heard this quote before. I think John, John MacArthur maybe had it in one of his books. He's talking about trying to spot counterfeit money. And he said, federal, federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying counterfeits. They study genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then when they see the bogus money, they recognize it. So the point is, by studying the word and sound doctrine, you ought to be able to discern truth from false doctrine. Um, John 10, 4, 4 says, And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So it's true. Actually, where we, we just moved to a new house in the Middle East, and um, just outside our kitchen window is a watering hole, and there's Bedouin shepherds that come, and uh, all day, there's, there's groups of shepherds coming through with their sheep, and definitely their sheep know their voice. Uh, let's read through verse 7. Having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. So I think this verse is uh, self-explanatory. It says, avoid silly myths. I don't know if any of you have the NIV, but I like how the NIV puts it. It says, avoid godless myths and old wives' tales. So do you all have any friends that are distracted by some of the weird conspiracy theories going around? And do you guys have any uh, flat earth friends out there? Any flat earthers? Anyone? <laughs> no? Um, but I think we can get distracted by similar things. So how do we abstain from, from uh, the godlessness that's around us in the world? Paul commands us, train yourself for godliness. So what is godliness? I looked up a definition. Godliness is the reverent awareness of God's sovereignty and over, over every aspect of life in the attendant determination to honor him in all one's conduct. I'll read that again. Godliness is the reverent awareness of God's sovereignty over every aspect of life and the attendant determination to honor him in all one's conduct. I think godliness is holiness. They're one and the same. And again, Paul says, if you do these things you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Let's read uh, verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul expounds in verse 8, he's saying bodily training is of some value, but... uh, Godliness, again, we gave the definition, it's a value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Um, I think maybe you can read into this verse um, that you know, physical exercise isn't that important. It's of little value, but I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. He's, he's just making a stark contrast, a very uh, you know, juxtaposition to emphasize that the importance of godliness uh, far outweighs the importance of physical exercise um, and that it's both uh, beneficial now and forever. Um, Paul also, you know, in the scripture says, often follow me as I follow Christ.
Um, let's read through verse 9. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He just is saying, This is something to trust, guys. You need to fully accept it. So he's saying, Timothy, believe me. I'm saying, brothers and sisters at the vine, believe me. Um, you know, take hold of this truth, plant it in your heart, accept it fully. Verse 10 says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He says, For this reason we toil, and for this reason we strive. Why do we do these things? He answers in the same verse. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the reason we suffer. This is the reason we labor for the sake of the gospel. I think if you turn back a couple of chapters, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, you're welcome to, to flip back there, verses 3 through 7. Um, Paul gives a perfect, a very good description of the gospel. He says, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Again, he uses that same phrasing, for this, and he's emphasizing for this, the gospel. Let's read through verse 11. It's a short verse. Command and teach these things. This is, this is the Great Commission. In this small verse here, he says... Command and teach these things. It doesn't say suggest or maybe just learn these things. It doesn't say hoard these things. I don't think it gets any more clear. It says command and teach these things. Again, Paul says if you do these things, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I think verse 12 is where a lot of the other sermons kind of focused in on this verse about young pastors, like not letting them despise you for your youth. Let's read through verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. We understand from the Bible that Timothy was young and timid, and perhaps one of those things. I'll let you guys decide which one. Uh, But many of you guys are in your 30s. So see, you guys are young. The Bible is biblical. It says you're young. Don't let people despise you for your youth. Just because you're young doesn't mean you're unskilled or unlearned or inexperienced. I think it's saying here, be bold in your faith. Let no one tell you otherwise. Um, Yeah, as we read in in verse 12, um, there's a heading. This is the part that I was getting at earlier. There's a heading in my uh, text that says... um, how Timothy, a.k.a. us as believers, should be shaped by the gospel. Pastor Stephen often says, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? This is the exact same phrasing. How Timothy should be shaped by the gospel. The next several verses, I think, answer this question. So, again, this is an imperative command form. Paul is saying, set an example in speech. How much does the Bible give warnings about speech and give warnings about the tongue? Is your speech edifying, or does it lead to gossip or slander? Does it build up, or does it destroy? Does your speech lead to unity, 
or discord? Are your responses soft or are they harsh? This is definitely an area for me as a father and husband to grow. Um, Paul says, says an example in conduct. Do those around, who interact with you know by how you live that you are a follower of Christ? Um, how do you behave in private when you're alone and when no one's watching? Paul says, set an example in love. John three thirty five says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you love God and do you love others well? I think you guys do a good job of that here at the Vine. I'll give you an example. In overseas, we had a Syrian refugee family that we were close with and witnessing to. And there was um, uh, the wife's brother, actually two brothers, were in Turkey as refugees uh, when the earthquake hit. And they hadn't heard from one for a long time. The other lost everything in the earthquake. And we helped them out financially, and they were able to send money via Western Union over there for him to, you know, uh, with any needs that they had in Turkey. And after talking to them, they said, none of our local friends hardly asked us about our family. They knew our family was in Turkey, but they didn't ask about how they were doing. They said, only the Christians cared. Only the Christians. And they said multiple people came and asked how they were doing, asked how they could help, how could they um, send help. Um, So I think that's an example of John 3.35. Paul says, set an example in faith. Are you living out your faith well? Do you fast and pray in faith? Do you believe that Christ is who he says he is? Or do you doubt Do you worry? Do you give in to fear and anxiety? Do you believe, as it says in verse 10, that our hope is set on the living God? Do you believe that? Do you live according to that faith? Paul says, set an example in purity. I think in this command, um, it doesn't just apply to relationships. I think purity means living a, a holy life. Are you treating your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Again, Paul says, if you do these things, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Let's read verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and the teaching. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Again, that's one of the things I love about the vine. You guys are deliberate and intentional You read through Psalm 33 earlier. Um, It's great. We're we're asked to devote ourselves to these things. And you guys involve the whole church. Devote yourself to exhortation. It's a big word. I had to look up the definition. Uh, Exhortation. To advise or strongly encourage someone to do something. It doesn't say to believe or accept something. It's encouraging someone to do something. And then it, devotes, it says, devote yourself to teaching. Again, this is our second time he mentions teaching, like in verse uh, 11. Again, he doesn't say do these things when you have time or on the weekends when it's convenient. He says, devote yourself to these things. If you do these things, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. You're going to get tired of me saying that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's read verse 14. 
Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Um, Clearly, this verse is directed at Timothy, but I think we can glean from this as well. Um, Like Pastor Stephen mentioned last week, Acts chapter 16. Sure, we should use our gifts and skills and talents for the, to further the kingdom of God. But just because we're weak in a certain area doesn't mean we should neglect our weaknesses. Um, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm not a great speaker, but I'm here and I'm trying, you know. And so uh, I, it's one of the things I learned um, in, in the Middle East is... In two years, being outside of my wheelhouse, I, I have learned to lean into my weaknesses um, and just really uh, lean on God during that time. And in, his, in our weaknesses, he's made strong. Let's, uh, let's read through uh, verse 15. Paul says, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your uh, progress. I think it's interesting that Paul says, So that all may see your progress. This is not my t- natural tendency. I wouldn't, this wouldn't be my default. Laura hates it when I say this, but it's like Paul saying, if you got it, flaunt it. Let others see it. You know, if you're progressing in godliness, let others see it. Um, so can others see your all's godliness? Um, that's a true or false question. You either are or you're not progressing in godliness. We've all heard practice makes perfect. Um, I think practice doesn't mean perfect. Laura said, what about practice makes perfect? She's heard that, and I said, that's, that's pretty fitting for this verse. Practice makes perfect. Um, kids aren't going to like this portion, but uh, sometimes I see in my kids that they don't want to try something because they think they'll fail at it. They think that if they try something like a new sport or a hobby or a new game, um, and if they're not naturally skilled at it, that one thing, they don't want to keep practicing to improve it. But Paul commands that we should practice, devote ourselves, immerse ourselves in godliness. Um, I think the same thing applies to us as adults in the church. I'm not naturally gifted at singing, or I'm not naturally gifted at speaking, or welcoming, or hospitality, or teaching. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do these things. We should strive to do these things. And we shouldn't fear that we'll fail at them because, you know, God is with us. So, again, Paul says, if you do these things, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Let's read through verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in these things, for by doing, uh, so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. In other words, keep yourself rooted in truth and keep yourself accountable. Well, the last part of verse 16, I think, can be a bit confusing. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Paul commands us to be persistent. Again, that's the same sort of idea of practicing in these things, immersing yourself in these things. Um, And he says, in order to save yourself and your hearers. So what does that mean? I think this whole passage is a bit confusing, actually, because um, it, it's a bit ironic. Chapter 4 begins by warning about false doctrine, especially doing X, Y, and Z in order to be saved. But then it outlines all these things 
that we as believers should be doing to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And then at the end, Paul says, if you do these things, you will save yourself and your hearers. So again, I think it's a bit ironic. But um, I think on one level, it can mean that if we do these things in a general fashion, we may save ourselves from troubles or problems in life. I think on another level, I think it can also refer to true salvation, salvation from the consequences of sin. So you might ask, well, Brian, which one is it? Is it salvation from problems in life, or is it salvation from spending eternity without God? I would answer yes. So some of you might be getting a little squirmy uh, in your seats and thinking I may be preaching false doctrine. Before you start throwing tomatoes, I want to clarify. Um, I'm in no way promoting a works or merit-based salvation. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, not by our works or our own efforts. I'm going to read uh, a quote by Martin Luther on this verse. It's a little old English, so bear with me. Um, Nor ought they to think it strange that Paul ascribes to Timothy the work of saving the church. For certainly all that is gained to God is saved, and it is by the preaching of the gospel that we are gathered to Christ. And as the unfaithfulness or carelessness of the pastor is ruinous to the church, so the cause of salvation is justly ascribed to the faithfulness and diligence of the, of the preacher. True, it is God alone that saves, and not even the smallest portion of his glory can lawfully be bestowed on men. But God parts with no portion of his glory when he employs the agency of men for bestowing salvation. Okay, that's a lot of smarty pants words. Uh, so what is, he, what is he describing here? Luther is describing essentially Romans 10 uh, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So in other words, God uses mankind to accomplish his will and to spread the gospel to save souls to himself. So I think that's what's Paul's, uh, that's the meaning in verse 16 of saving yourself and others is the preaching of the gospel. I'm going to conclude here. If you're anything like me, as I was reading through this, initially I felt a little bit discouraged. I thought to myself, man, I'm a long way from what's, what's described in this passage. Um, I sort of made the mistake of thinking that you know, these things, setting an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity, um, that these were qualifiers. And if so, then, man, I'm disqualified. I'm out. Um, I'm not certainly a Paul or a Timothy. Uh, I mean, just in the area of speech, um, few weeks before coming back to the States, I hit two parked cars in a matter of a week, and the, herds, the kids heard me saying explicit, so I'd be out. I mean, I, I would be out, it, just in speech, you know. Um, but I, I think it's important to make a distinction that these are not qualifiers or disqualifiers of a good servant, but they're rather character qualities of a good servant. If these were qualifications, I think there'd only be one person that would be fit for ministry, and that'd be Jesus Christ. Uh, but Paul is giving a prescription on how to live our lives. The heading of the passage, again, is a good servant of Jesus Christ. But who is the greatest servant? Christ modeled for us the greatest example of servanthood. 
I'm going to read Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be saved, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this is our challenge, to progress in godliness and to teach these things unto others. Again, Paul emphasizes It's all a prescription right here. If we do these things, we'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what you modeled for us on the cross. We thank you that uh, we have these words from Paul. We want to live out our lives to be good servants of you. We want to set an example in, in speech in conduct, in faith, in love, in impurity. Give us the strength to do so. Help us to lean into our weaknesses. Help us to teach others as well, to bring others alongside us into the kingdom, to make disciples of all nations. Be with us. Thank you for the vine. It's all these things in Christ's name. Amen.